From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. One of the cool things about an academic medical center is the research that takes place. And today we have a postdoctoral associate who's going to share some of the work she's done on a particular bacteria. Welcome to Megan Gribble Lloyd from the lab of Dr. Jennifer Moffitt in microbiology and immunology. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Well, I understand you've been working on this particular project um, for more than three years. Can you tell us what it is? Sure. Yeah. So the project that we're going to be talking about today was actually the work I did in order to receive my doctoral degree. And we studied the bacteria Pseudomonas aeruginosa. I was hoping you'd pronounce that. (laughs) Okay. Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Yes. It is kind of a complicated name. But what it is, is it's a bacteria that we call it an opportunistic pathogen, which means that it lives in the soil, it lives in water, you can find it in the environment. And actually, there's even papers that have isolated out of a dog's mouth because dogs like to dig in the soil. And but what it is, is that from day to day in a healthy person, it's not going to cause an infection. You can go out and garden and you might get some on your hands, but typically you're not going to actually develop some sort of disease. However, in people in the hospital who might have a compromised immune system, or particularly in people who have cystic fibrosis, they're susceptible to being infected with this, which is why it's an opportunistic, or it has an opportunity to infect um, compromised individuals. So cystic fibrosis, that's a lung disorder? Yes, um, it is a genetic disorder that leads to a buildup of mucus in the lungs and other organs in the body. So why are people with cystic fibrosis um, more prone to this than someone else with, I don't know, another lung disease or something? Well, so the environment that is created in the lungs of individuals with cystic fibrosis is just very hospitable to um, this bacteria likes that. Yes. Gotcha. Now, did I read somewhere that um, this bacteria causes disease in plants as well as animals? I, I did not study it in plants. However, I do believe that there are certain, there are certain strains of Pseudomonas that can infect that can. plants. Oh. It may not be Pseudomonas aeruginosa, but that is this particular species of this bacteria we were interested in studying. There's numerous other Pseudomonas species. Now, for someone who has cystic fibrosis and, and becomes infected with this, it, it can be deadly, right? Yes. It's, this bacteria in particular is the leading cause of morbidity oh. and mortality in cystic fibrosis patients, unfortunately. Okay, so the, the, the lab that you're working, um, the, that you're part of, um, is collaborating with some other researchers on this project, right? Yes, we actually had the wonderful opportunity of being up on University Hill. And so we were able to walk right down the street and collaborate with Dr. Christopher Nomura's lab at SUNY ESF. And Environmental he... Science and Forestry? Exactly. Okay. Neat. So do you have regular meetings or do you stay in touch by email or? When, when we were deep in the throes of this project, we did try to have regular meetings at least every other week. And then we collaborate by email quite a bit. We also worked with a lab in Ontario or in Ottawa, excuse me. And we had to communicate with them via email, but we did quite a bit of emailing back and forth with them as well. 
Um, I wanted you to talk about the work that you're doing. Does it involve, do you, do you need like samples from cystic fibrosis patients? And how, I mean, how, what do you do actually? Yes. So a lot of our work was originally done in traditional lab strains. So a lot of basic science research starts with a basic science question in the research lab, and you can use some traditional laboratory strains that are commercially available to purchase. And so we started with those strains And once we had a general idea of where our project was going, because we used a a protein that bound to specific sites in the bacteria's DNA, um, blocking its ability to cause disease, we then were able to translate that into a more clinical application by using cystic fibrosis uh, patient samples. So we obtained... Um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa that had been isolated from sputum of cystic fibrosis patients. And some of those samples came from the Seattle Children's Hospital on the West Coast. And some of them actually came right here from upstate in our cystic fibrosis center here. Interesting. Um, I have some more questions about that. But first, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Megan Gribble-Lloyd, a postdoctoral associate at Upstate, who's researching a bacteria that's especially important to people with cystic fibrosis. Now, you started to mention this. Um, some of your work has been focused on identifying a target in the bacteria's DNA that's related to its ability to cause disease and establish an infection. So what more can you tell us about how you got into that and what you've learned? So Chris Nomura's lab actually approached us about this project. His lab is a chemistry lab, and they identified a small protein or peptide that binds to numerous sites across the bacteria's DNA. And when it binds to these sites, it actually blocks gene transcription which means that it's blocking the bacteria's ability to produce many different traits. And a lot of these traits are related to virulence or the bacteria's ability to cause disease. Hmm. And once Chris's lab identified this peptide, they knew that they needed to bring in someone else who was much more used to actually studying this host pathogen interaction. And that's where our lab came in. He and... um, Dr. Jennifer Moffat uh, started talking, and eventually my project just came to be. So this peptide um, could be revolutionary. I mean, if it works, I mean, we're talking about basic science, but if it sounds like it, if I understand what you're saying, it could uh, stop this bacteria from doing what we don't want it to do. We very much hope so. So what we found in my project was that when all of these sites were blocked, The bacteria was still able to live, but it wasn't able to cause disease. And we were able to see this both in a Petri plate or what we consider to be called in in vitro, and then also in vivo using, um, in our case, we used a C. elegans model, which is a small nematode or worm. Um, And what we found was that even when the bacteria was still alive, it couldn't cause disease. And so while right now it what we've been studying is not, cannot be used as a treatment. We hope that some pharmaceutical company or another lab may see our papers and our research and say, wow, this is a great target and it's a new target. Um, And one of the benefits of this target is that there's actually, we believe dozens, if not hundreds of sites in the bacteria's DNA that it has to bind to. 
which may also help in reducing the amount of resistance that could develop to such a treatment. Huh. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, resistance, but if someone's infected with this now, someone with cystic fibrosis, say, or I guess another person could be infected with this as well, how, how is it treated or can it be treated? It can be treated. There are antibiotics that do work against the bacteria currently. Um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa is unfortunately naturally resistant to quite a few antibiotics. And then it can also develop resistance, um, which it can develop resistance just through random mutations in the DNA, or it can actually acquire um, resistance from another bacteria. So bacteria can actually transfer genes back and forth um, between each other, which is a little bit of a terrifying thought when you think about antibiotic resistance. Um, So maybe the solution isn't to develop another antibiotic, um, but to go the route that you've gone and maybe just try to turn off its ability to cause the infection in the first place, right? Exactly. That's what we're really hoping for. We're very much hoping that somebody will see this and say, okay, they were able to identify dozens of spots in the DNA and the bacteria would have to simultaneously change all of those targets in order to become resistant, which would be a very cumbersome and I don't want to say impossible, but very difficult task for the bacteria to overcome such a treatment. Well, well, it sounds fascinating. How did you choose science? So I actually have, I grew up in the Syracuse area. Um, I've lived here my whole life. And I had some amazing teachers growing up that really encouraged me to become involved in the local science fairs and to take all the advanced science courses my high school took. And my love of science just kind of grew from there. I was, so you were hooked from a young age, really, it sounds like. Oh, very much so. And I had always thought I was going to go to vet school and become a veterinarian and because I've always loved animals. And by the time I got to college, I went to Cornell for undergrad. And I had the opportunity to start taking some more research-intensive classes and to also become a teaching assistant in a few courses. And that just completely changed my perspective of what science is. And while some people go to school to become a doctor or a veterinarian, I realized that there's this whole other world of science where I can ask questions and then be the one who discovers the answer. And that just seemed like an incredible opportunity to me. So you ended up majoring um, in biology? I double majored in biology and animal science. Wow. Okay. Well, what about, um, what would you say to high school students or junior high school students um, today that are sort of, you know, thinking and imagining about what they want to do with their lives? And, you know, science classes seem to be these hard, you know, hard. (laughs) Um, What would you say to encourage them? Oh, I would definitely say just persevere, be persistent and work as hard as you can. But then to also talk to your science teachers about other opportunities, because it wasn't necessarily my science classes that kept me interested in science. It was all the other opportunities that I had. I did an Explorer Post program where I learned how to suture a banana, um, which was very interesting. I did the local science fairs. And even now, I um, periodically have the option to help judge at the most science fair which 
feels like it's kind of coming full circle for me. Um, I was a participant long ago, and now I get to help encourage those students to maybe fill my shoes someday. When you think about your future, what do you hope to accomplish in your career as a scientist? Oh, goodness, that's a great question. I, I hope someday to teach. That is one of my ultimate goals. Um, I would really love to share my love for science with other people. Um, and I'd really like to help keep answering these unknown questions um, and maybe do some good for someone else someday. When you've been focused on this particular bacteria for so many years, does it like consume your life? Do you go to sleep thinking about it and wake up thinking about it? Or um, Some days, yes. My Funny enough, my husband tells me I need to turn off the science some days because I'll come home and I'll just tell him about these very exciting results that I got in lab that day. And he'll, he listens and he's a good sport, but it does tend to consume my life. Periodically, I'll close my eyes and see pictures of my bacteria plates right in front of my closed eyelids. Um, but it's, it's a good consumption. It's, it keeps me going and it drives me every day. Well, well, you're very passionate about it. It's nice to know um, that you're here and working on this. Uh, my guest has been Megan Gribble-Lloyd, a postdoctoral associate at Upstate in the lab of Dr. Jennifer Moffitt in microbiology and immunology. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.